I think we should try this one more time. Alleluia, Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Alleluia. Y'all are good at that. Good job. Our Easter alleluias um, have no meaning without the crucifixion. So we need to start there. I know it's, it's Easter and you want to be uplifted, and I hope you will be before this is all said and done. But, but to really understand the power of the resurrection, we have to um, investigate the grief and the tragedy of the cross before we can realize the grace of Easter, we have to realize the grace of Good Friday. And so we'll start then um, with these women. If you remember from Paul's, um, Paul's, reading, Paul's letter this morning that we read, he says, um, if our hope in Christ is in this life only, we above all people are to be pitied. If our hope in Christ is in this life only, we of all people are most to be pitied. And here we have these women going to the tomb of Jesus. And do they not fit that description perfectly? Of all people are those women, of all people are those disciples of Jesus, not the most to be pitied. Why? Well, because they set their hope in Jesus, um, Jesus the, the Messiah of Israel, Jesus the one who would overthrow the Roman government, Jesus the one who fulfill all the messianic expectations of Israel. We read later in Luke, there's some disciples, they're walking on the road to Emmaus, Emmaus and what do they say? They say, we had hoped, we had hoped that he would be the one to redeem Israel. We had hoped that he would be the great military leader to overthrow these foreigners. We had hoped that he would sit on the king on the throne of Israel, the king in the line of David. We had hoped, we had hoped, we had hoped in this life. But Jesus, it would seem, um, wasn't the Messiah. In fact, he was probably a lunatic, if you will. He wasn't a king, but he was a criminal. He wasn't fulfilling all the hopes and expectations of a burdened people. He was yet another person dying on a cross. That's what's going through these women's minds as they head to the tomb. That This man that they put all their hopes, all their dreams, all their expectations in him, um, he's dead. And so they mourn and they grieve. And they go to prepare his body, to anoint him with spices, and to look into a blank future, perhaps even a hopeless future. It was a very sad day indeed. Now, on some levels, we're right there with them, are we not? We, we want to, and we often, even though we, we don't necessarily say it, um, put our hope in this life. We put our hope in the things of this world. And Paul says, are we not most to be pitied? And so we spend, I mean, the medical advances we have made are nothing short of incredible. But they can't overcome death. They can delay it. They can extend our lives. But they cannot overcome death. 
And so we're looking at a very limited amount of time, right? And so we, we so often pour ourselves into this life, into our hopes, into our desires that one day will we'll end. And sometimes they end tragically. And what then? Where is our hope then? Where is our, our, our expectation then? Where, what are we going to do at that moment? C.S. Lewis, a... Um, fabulous Christian, has written, I mean, he's known for his theology, but one of his best books is called A Grief Observed. Let's see if I can find this quote for you. Well, I don't have it, but (laughs) it's a good book. You should read it, A Grief Observed. But he's recounting the death of his wife. Now, this is a man who is a faithful believer in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and he's recounting the death of his wife, and he says, where is God? Where is he? When, you, when, he, when things are going well and you turn to God, he's right there, and he seems like he's right there with you and giving you everything you need. But when things go south, when things go bad, like they are for me right now, this is a paraphrase, you get silence from God sometimes. And not just silence, but the sound of a door slamming in your face. And then it being locked and double locked and triple locked on the inside. Where is God? It's a man pouring out his grief. And I I believe so many of you can identify with that, with those words. You've been there, you know that. Or, or, Or perhaps a mother who's lost their six year old daughter in Newtown, Connecticut. She says this the latest issue of Christianity Today. By instinct, I reach out across the dinner table to hold hold my daughter's hand. I kiss her goodbye. I put her on a school bus. Never knowing. Can you imagine these women approaching the tomb they didn't know. They're saying, where is God? Where is he? I have um, five children. They're all eight years and younger, so it's a bit crazy in my house, if you can imagine. Um, and who can guess maybe probably the very first word that they learned, or the first idea that they learned? Anybody know? What is it? Chocolate? <laughs> close. That's very close. Somebody else said it over here. No. No. Their first words, or at least their first thoughts were no. I have a, um, a one-year-old. She can't talk, um, but she's full of life and spunk, and um, sometimes she'll, she'll, she'll want to leave the room and go exploring, and upstairs, that's not so good, because we have stairs, and we don't want her going anywhere. So here's what she does. She'll, she'll crawl to almost the edge of the door and just sit there and wait. And she'll wait, and she'll kind of look around, and we'll see her, and she'll smile, big grin, and then she'll shake her head, (laughs) and then she's gone. She knows what she's doing. She knows no, and it's really cute when they're one, right? It's not so cute when they're eight. It's not so cute when they're six. And so they say no to daddy. They say no to mommy. What is that? What's going to happen? There's a consequence for that no. 
There's a consequence for that. No, a, a result. And so maybe it's time out. Maybe it's, it's going to their room. But, but a no, when we want a yes, um, naturally leads to a consequence. And you can't directly translate that to God, but, but you can on some levels because death, the crucifixion, the sorrows, and, and the, 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 the terrible toil that this life can so often take on us is a result of our no to God. What does Paul say again in 1 Corinthians? He says, um, in Adam all have sinned. In Adam, all have said no to God. In Adam, all have looked at this tree of life in the Garden of Eden. Remember, we had it perfect. We were with God. Everything was, was in a great children's song. Everything was fine and dandy. And, and there's this tree of life. And we said, God, we're, we're, no, we're not going to listen to you. We're going to take the fruit from this tree. We're going to eat it. That's man's no to God. And that no has consequences. Adam and Eve can no longer live in the garden. They can no longer be in the presence of God. And and that no, they were seeking life in the tree, and that life-seeking no led to death. Do you see that? And so now we we, we still, we, we experience that and we know that. It's very real to us. But it's not, it's not the end of the story, is it? friends. It's not the end of the story, because thank God those women ventured on to the tomb. They kept going. They persevered, and they got there, and what did they find? Nothing! There's no Jesus. He's gone. And they see these, these two men shining, radiant, they're angels, and they say, He is not here. He is risen. He is risen from the dead. It is an amazing thing to consider that and to consider what they were thinking and what they were feeling. And no doubt there was um, skepticism, for sure, not as much in the women. But what happens? They go back to the disciples and nobody believes them. But, but, but he is risen. There might be some of you skeptical of that this morning. Science certainly has taught us that this is impossible. Um, certainly we're more enlightened than these folks in Scripture and this is a whole separate sermon, but at least consider this. They were just as skeptical as you might be right now, right? And of all the people to first see Jesus, okay, if you were a first century author and you were trying to concoct a story about Jesus rising from the dead and you were thinking, I need some credible eyewitnesses that I can write into my story, you would not have written in women, Thank God this is not still the way we see things today. But in those days, a report from a woman was worthless. They couldn't, test, they couldn't testify in court. They couldn't, I mean, they, you know, you saw the disciples. They thought it was nonsense. If this isn't true, there's no way Luke is saying the women saw Jesus first. There's no way John is saying that or Matthew or Mark. There's something real going on here. Something real, something more true than anything that you've ever witnessed, anything you've ever known, more true even than death itself. Because here is what the resurrection is. For, For my children, I get the no. The no. The cross, like I said, is our no to God. 
But with my children, there's always a yes. Yes, you can come out of your room. Yes, you can come out of timeout. Yes, you can rejoin the family. Yes, I forgive you. Yes, I love you. The resurrection is God's yes to us. The cross is our no to God. The resurrection is God's yes to us. Yes, I still love you. Yes, I forgive you. Yes, I want you to come to me even though you turned away, even though you will turn away again, even though you have rejected me over and over and over. I still want you to come home. Come experience this resurrected life. Yes, I love you. And yes, I forgive you. And so, C.S. Lewis, many, many of those families in, in, in Newtown, Connecticut, in the midst of their grief, in the midst of their sorrow, they look to the resurrection and they say, God still says yes. God still says yes. And one day we will meet again and we will be in a world where there's no more tears, where there's no more sorrow, where there's no more pain, where there's no more death. Death itself is dead today, friends. We have new life, new life in Jesus Christ. We're not there yet, but we're on the way, and we can know that, and we can experience that, and we can hope. We can hope in something beyond the tomb. We can hope in our resurrected Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so, I want to leave you this morning with this same probing question um, that those angels asked the women. You know, it was like a little jab. You just kind of um, jabbed it in there to them. Why, 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 why do you seek the living among the dead? Why do you seek life among death? Why do you seek the tree in Eden when God is standing right there? What is it in your life? What is it in your life that looks so delicious and so life-giving and so wonderful that, that if you pursue it, if you put all your hopes and dreams into it, it can only lead to death? What is that? Why are you seeking the living among the dead? When we can find life in the resurrection, life in the Lord Jesus Christ, life in forgiveness of sins, and hope that even death itself cannot contain us. cross was our no to God. The resurrection is God's yes to us. The question you need to ask yourself today, why am I seeking life among death? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you are the author and giver of life. You are the resurrected Lord. We give you thanks and praise, and glory. I pray, Lord, that each one of us would know your resurrection, would know your alleluia, that you would send us forth from this place proclaiming your gospel, and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.